she definitely loves to lick her nose a lot and things like that, stick her tongue in her nostril. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that hopes to take even the tiniest hollow in your heart and make it happy. The Rasafari Podcast. Okay, that was a kind of weird thing to say, but I'm a kind of weird guy. In this case, though, it actually pertains to the zoo that we are going to be visiting today because we are going to San Jose, California to sit down at Happy Hollow Park and Zoo. And not only are we sitting down at a new zoo for the podcast, but we're also going to be talking to Rachel Atkins, who is the vet tech at Happy Hollow. Y'all, I have been trying to get a vet tech on this podcast basically since I started it. I think one of the first five people that I reached out to was a vet tech at a zoo. Uh, unfortunately, Vet techs are wildly busy, and so it's it's pretty hard to get them to cut an hour out of their day. Uh, Rachel was able to because unlike most vet techs, she's a slacker. Uh, she admits it in the internet. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Um, it just so happened that the zoo was closed this day, and uh, even though Rachel still had a lot to do, that made it a little bit easier to carve out some time. And so, yeah, we got to talk, and... This was this was just one of those really fun days. I love going to facilities when they are closed, uh, assuming, of course, that I actually still get to do the facility. It's kind of sad when I go and do an interview and I just I know there are all these animals right over there and I can't go see them. But that was not the case with this interview. It was the conservation and communications manager at Happy Hollow Park and Zoo. And uh She's awesome. Caitlin's awesome. And she helped me set all of this up. And she said it would be cool to come in on a day off. And uh, then she and Rachel took me through the zoo. And I got my own little private tour. We got to go see the red pandas. We got to go behind the scenes and meet some cool animals, including Ulysses, a sulfur-crested cockatoo that you're going to hear a lot about on this podcast. Uh, and it is... It's well worth the listen. Ulysses was pretty special. And it was just like a really nice, really chill day. Um, that's kind of the theme of California in my experience. Really nice and chill. And I just love it. Yeah. Um, but suffice to say, this was this was an interesting one because I woke up at the butt crack of dawn. That's uh, I think that's the official term. And I drove something like five hours to get to Happy Hollow. And it was it was a weird drive. I went through a lot of these these big kind of corporate farms. And it was really weird to see for miles nothing but just 
row after row of fruit tree that were all, you know, grown in a specific way. So they looked the same. The best way that I could describe it to you is, you know how in old video games, as you would walk by things, the background would just keep repeating. That's what this felt like. Every tree was being grown to look exactly the same to the point where literally almost the exact same branch locations and angles and everything were there. And they were going back in both directions as far as the eye could see for miles. And it literally felt like some weird out-of-body experience where I was in a 2D video game walking past a recycling background. It was it was strange. It was it was cool to see and and I understand a lot more now about um how they get such consistent fruit into grocery stores from these huge factory farms, uh, but it was it was it was definitely uh, an intense thing to see. And I mean, we are talking when I say miles, it might have been 30 to 40 minutes of driving pretty quickly um with nothing changing it was it was it was like a visual weirdness on the eye i don't know it was strange i'm rambling but uh it was it was pretty strange so after all of that and this long drive and not sleeping much the night before i got to happy hollow and i got to have a happy experience there um at the hollow um so yeah i wanted to start off by saying thank you to rachel and to caitlin for being awesome hosts and accommodating me and just giving me such a great day i also wanted to play y'all a commercial today's episode is brought to you by daydreamers studios do you have stories and expertise to share with the world have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts there's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right. And a quick friendly reminder, make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Rossafari and on TikTok at Rossafari pod. Um, yeah. And I want to get to this interview because it's a really cool interview. So uh, I'm going to shut up and do that. Enjoy my interview with Rachel Atkins of Happy Hollow Park and Zoo. So why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. All right. I'm Rachel Atkins. I'm the veterinary technician at Happy Hollow Park and Zoo in San Jose, California. So tell me, is it in fact a happy hollow? It is the happiest of hollows, I would say. (laughs) Excellent. Very cool. So you are a vet tech, and I'm so excited about that because I have yet to get a vet tech on here. Turns out most of you are incredibly busy, and I'm sure you are as well, but, you know, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Um, But so where are we right now? And I don't just mean Happy Hollow, but Mm -hmm. where are we? So we're actually in Doc's Critter Care, which is our clever name for our veterinary hospital here at Happy Hollow Zoo. It's actually viewable by the public, so if anybody ever visits Happy Hollow, they're more than welcome to take a peek inside and see what we're doing. I love that. It's really cool. Um, (laughs) Sorry. 
I got distracted by the groundhog that's a lemur. <laughs> Those are, uh, yeah, all the children that are in camps um, draw me art. So Yeah, know. no, that's so cool. And it's really beautiful. And I love that that's here. And it's like a really good drawing for it is. a kid. It is. Um, it just, it says lemur. And that was not my first guess. Yes. Uh, it's a rough lemurs. Yeah, no, it makes got sense. got the rough on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my pick-me-ups. So whenever I'm having kind of a... A crummy day, I turn around and look at all the cool pictures that kids and all the the notes that the kids have sent me over the years. That is awesome. Yeah, (laughs) that is so cool. Um, So, all right. So let's let's get into this a little bit. Um, I want to know how you got to this position, but I think before we even get to that, can you describe what a vet tech does and what you specifically do at this zoo? A vet tech does a lot, and it really varies depending on the setting that they're in, but a lot of vet techs are doing kind of the nurse work of the veterinary world. So if we think of the veterinarians as the doctors, the vet techs do a lot of the nurse stuff from the day-to-day medication administration, doing blood draws, uh, prepping samples to go to the lab, things like that. So I do all of that, but I also kind of run the hospital here at Happy Hollow, uh, make sure I'm doing inventorying and keeping things in stock, um, as well as scheduling our vets for procedures. Okay, very cool. And uh, yeah, I know that, um, as I mentioned, Zoe is, is a vet. Mm-hmm. And um, even though right now, just doing like domestic stuff for right now, um, there have been times that she has called me and said, I had a really bad day. Mm-hmm. We didn't have enough texts. So literally nothing got done. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a great description of what vet techs do. It doesn't matter how many doctors are there. If there are no texts, nothing's getting done. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say like, you know, we really have to work as a team with our veterinarians. So um, if one of us is missing, things aren't getting done for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So how did you become a zoo vet tech? Um, In a very pretty roundabout way, actually, um, which I think is is true for a lot of vet techs. Uh, It was something that growing up and going through school, I didn't really realized was like a career option, to be honest. So when I went through undergrad, I uh, got a bachelor's in biology and psychology and then went off. I wanted to do field conservation. That was what I really wanted to do was some sort of field ecology or conservation. And I had an internship um, out of the Atwaters Prairie Chicken National Wildlife Refuge and uh, Texas. Okay. So uh, I'm yeah. curious, is that actually like the one at Fossil Rim or do they work with Fossil Rim? Because I know I've talked to Fossil Rim about this. <laughs> yes. So yeah. they work with Fossil okay. Rim. Okay. So it is a different facility. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is cool. the, the place that they actually do like the releasing of all of the atwaters that were raised um, with the Houston Zoo and Fossil Rim. Sure. Okay. And cool. That's their wild habitat. So it's, a, it's the only refuge, or at least at the time that I was there, I haven't kept up on it, but um, it's the only refuge that's specific for a species. So it is the Atwaters Prairie Chicken National Wildlife Refuge. Oh, that's awesome. Very, very cool cool. place. Um, Obviously an umbrella species. So there's a lot of other uh, threatened and endangered uh, species in that area that 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 habitat helps protect. So um, I did an internship there for a summer, loved it, Um, decided I didn't want to do like lab work as a biologist, did not want to be sitting inside for (laughs) hours and hours a day really loved the the outdoor work, even though it um, is in Texas. So I grew up in Texas, so I was used to it. And um, so after I graduated college, I started working at the Houston Zoo as a ranger, um, which is more of a customer service position, not so much an animal position, but it was, it was a great introduction to the zoo world. 
I got to know all of the animals, got to know how keepers kind of work, um, and got to to see how a, a zoo operates. And it was something that I really wanted to do. And then my husband got a job in California. <laughs> and so uh, after a short time at the Houston Zoo, I moved out here. Um, I have the uh, fortune that I didn't have to go to work immediately when we moved out here. Nice. So I did start volunteering at a wildlife rehab place in San Jose, and I was there for five years. So uh, during that time, I really became interested in the medical aspect. I really wanted to help out the veterinarian a lot more um, and be able to do that with skill. So I went to veterinary technician school here in the Bay Area and got my RVT license. And a couple of years later, um, I, I left wildlife. It's a really hard field to be in. Um, it can be very much like shelter medicine. So there's, there's a lot of sad stories there for sure. Right. Very rewarding stories as well. But, but it can get wearing on you after a long time. So uh, after I left there, uh, I had a colleague actually recommend uh, or say, hey, Happy Hollow's hiring. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't really qualify. Like, I've never worked with zoo animals. Like, I mean, I've worked at a zoo, but I wasn't working with the animals. So I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll apply. But, like, it's, it's probably not going to work out. <laughs> and anybody that's been through, um, like, a city or a county or any kind of municipally owned facility, the, their hiring process can take a while sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... After applying, my mom, actually, after a couple of weeks, she was like, oh, you didn't hear from them. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry you didn't get it. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's what that means. But um, so the, the hiring process was lengthy, but, uh, but I made it through and I got hired. Um, and they basically threw me in here and said, here, this is your space, like here in Doc's Critter Care. This is your space. Make it your own. And, um, you know, just be ready to answer any, any calls on the radio. Um, and, and that's where, that's how I started here. So I've been here for a little over five years now. Okay. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, um, what is like, how long is the education and what kind of stuff do you do when you're, you're learning how to become a vet tech? Yeah. So that's a two year, um, school generally, or a little bit shy of two years. Um, typically they're either, uh, like at, uh, public community colleges or sometimes there's, uh, private colleges as well that have programs. Most of them are associate's degrees, but there are a few bachelor's programs that are four-year um, degree instead. Um, but I went for the associates. I wasn't really interested in going back to school um, after, after having Fair. done that. Um, that was never, in my, never my plan, but uh, regardless, I did it anyway and worked full-time at the same time as, as going to school. Oof. So, yeah, we not only learned just, you know, kind of section off, so... There's a whole course about surgical assisting and a whole course about anesthesia and a whole course about anatomy, you know, starting out dentistry, all those kind of things. So we know a lot about everything. <laughs> um, so That would sound so egotistical if I didn't know how true it I actually know, yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is so real, though. It is. Um, yeah. Cool. So how much hands-on experience did you get in school? Um, if I had not already been working at a, at right, a facility... Right. Um, there is a, a huge internship component to okay. it, and that's typical of most of the programs across the United States. Uh, so with those, um, you're getting at least uh, 15 hours, if not more, um, 15 to 20 hours 
uh, of hands-on time at a clinic where they're your, your sole purpose there is to be mentored by them. So either by a veterinarian or by an experienced veterinary technician who's kind of looking over, making sure you're getting the skills that you need and kind of checking off and making sure that you learn everything that you need to learn to, to graduate. Right, that's and awesome. be out in the field, yeah. And since you were already working with wildlife, were you able to apply what you learned as you were learning? I was, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I can be very convincing sometimes. So I did convince the internship <laughs> coordinator at the time that, you know, coyotes are just like dogs. <laughs> and we do bobcats every once in a while, so that's like cats. <laughs> so whenever they would come in and, you know, the opportunity presented itself, and it's just like, hey, we need, we need to run blood on this bobcat. There's my cat blood draw skill right there. And, uh, you know, have the veterinarian make sure I'm doing it all right and check off, say, yep, you did that skill. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I have I have learned that wildlife in general is just kind of um, they need help and they need volunteers. And Absolutely. so if you go and if you're talented and you're dedicated, you'll get to have some cool experiences. Exactly. Yeah, I started out volunteering, but eventually I was actually a paid staff member right, there. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. It was an awesome experience. Nice. And so that brought you here. Yes. And and we are in in that area now. Mm-hmm. And um. I mean, this is like a legit vet's office. We are, what is, what's this thing that we're recording on? Uh, we're on the main treatment table, okay. what I call the main treatment table. Cool. Yeah. And, and it has like a light above it and stuff. Mm-hmm. See, I'm very scientific. And <laughs> there's stuff over there that's labeled like three milliliters and 20 milliliters. Yeah. So that seems important. Yes. You know, dosage, mm-hmm. All quantities. Good stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Smart guy. Doctor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got very, it. Very smart. No, but, um, but seriously, like it's very mm-hmm. cool to see such an open to the public, modern, nice looking, you know, mm-hmm. awesome facility. Um, and you have a, a mini x-ray here, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, and we were playing with that. Or No, I'm kidding. Totally <laughs> kidding, folks. No, kidding. Um, no, but so let's talk about, first of all, mm-hmm. I know that no two days are ever the same for you. Of course. But beyond that, mm-hmm. what's your day like here? <laughs> <laughs> so on days when I don't have the veterinarian here, um, I'm answering radio calls from the keepers. They're giving me reports on animals that we're monitoring, you know, so-and-so has diarrhea or so-and-so is eating much better today or their pain medication seems to be working better. Or if there comes, you know, becomes a problem somewhere, somebody's got a lump or a bump or a little wound or something like that, um, I go out and kind of assess that situation or take that report and uh, report back to the veterinarians, uh, whoever's on that case. And um, if the veterinarian's here... Um, oh, and sorry, besides that, if the veterinarian's not here, then I'm doing a lot of paperwork as well. Um, that's that's a, a large component of my day is doing paperwork and doing research. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as things come up and we're looking for treatment or what have people done in the past or things like that, um, I do a lot of scientific literature searches and stuff like that. So all those skills that you learn in school that you're like, I'm never going to do this again you probably will do it again at some point. (laughs) So those skills are valuable. But uh, on a day when a veterinarian's here, then I'm assisting them. So we're going around uh, looking at the animals. So I'm either helping hold the animal or maybe doing the blood draw on the animal, uh, holding the x-ray plate for them, for the veterinarians to take the x-rays. All of our equipment is pretty portable. So we can actually do a lot, what I call, in the field. So we don't, <laughs> we don't necessarily have to bring all of the animals here to Doc's Critter Care. We can actually go out to the animal and take x-rays out there because all of our equipment is battery-operated. 
So it's very, very cool. Um, And that was something that was generously donated through uh, the Happy Hollow Foundation. So all of that is is wonderful and um, has really helped uh, make everything less stressful for the animals and for us because we don't have to bring the animal all the way back here just to examine them or do x-rays. So uh, we may also do minor procedures, um, lump removals, uh, surgeries, things like that. So that time I'm monitoring anesthesia, assisting with the surgery, handing instruments to the, to the veterinarian, that kind of thing. So definitely no, no two days are alike, but um, it kind of depends on whether the veterinarian's here or not, right. what I'm doing. Very cool. So, yeah, let's talk about that. So um, there is not a full-time vet on staff here. Correct. Uh, but you have vets that work with the zoo and are also, I'm assuming, in private practice or yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that work? Talk me through that. Yeah, so I think it surprises a lot of people, the setup that we have. But the veterinarians have been coming to the zoo. Uh, one of them has been coming since the 80s. So he is very familiar with the collection. Um, he has associate vets that as he's uh, getting closer to potentially retiring, um, he's trying to get younger vets interested in zoo medicine. And so uh, he's normally an equine vet. That's his practice. And so the associate vets that he's had worked working with him, he's sent here like, hey, are you interested in, in working with the zoo? All right, here you go. Nice. <laughs> and so... Um, so it's a lot of, uh, helping the vets too. Part of what I do is help the vets. Well, here's what we normally do. Here's a, here's a, a textbook reference for working with this animal, or here's some drug dosages that other zoos have used for this particular animal in this particular condition. So for those, you know, um, it's been really great for me to teach them right. <laughs> because that helps me as well, of course. Um, to teach somebody else kind of strengthens my own knowledge. And then the other veterinarian that we have, um, so uh, the veterinarian that does equine medicine and his associate, they do mostly like our hoof stocks, so our goats and our cow and sheep, um, as well as some of our primates and some of the other like larger animals like anteaters, because who knows what anteaters are? <laughs> they don't even know what they, they are. They don't know what they are, yeah. but so... Um, and then our other veterinarian specializes more in like um, small, um, I would call them pocket pets, I guess, is what they're <laughs> usually referred to, the guinea pigs, you know, rodents that are, um, that are kept as um, pets. And uh, that's what she does in private practice, as well as birds and reptiles. And so she sees most of those animals as well as they all kind of share primates because none of them specialize in primates, but they've learned how to work with primates here at Happy Hollow. So... Um, with those, she's been coming since the 90s, and so there, again, she's very familiar with the, the history and the collection, and with all of the vets, um, I work really, really well with all of them, so anytime that an issue comes up, I'm calling them, I'm texting them, I'm emailing them and saying, hey, here's, here's what's going on, depending on how urgent it is, and giving them an update and letting them know, hey, you know, we need you to come out here, or hey, just wanted to let you know this is what's going on giving you an update. And um, so it works really, really well. Uh, not not for every zoo, for sure, right, right, but right. works really well for our collection. That's really cool. And I think as long as you're good at communication and as mm-hmm. long as y'all are working together, that's, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you're here. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, that's <laughs> very cool. Um, of the two vets, which is your favorite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But um, 
so I guess uh, something I'm kind of curious about <laughs> is, um, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, where the line gets drawn. Mm. So, um, you know, do you do the, can you do a, a physical exam? Can you, you know, mm -hmm. can you, uh, prescribe medicine? Like where, where is that? And, and I guess the last part of it is like, if there's an emergency happening in the zoo right now, mm -hmm. you know, do you have the ability to, um, do what you know, mm -hmm. or does it have to be, you know, some, the doctor kind of thing? Yeah, those are, those are good questions. Um, Definitely, like an emergency, I'm responding in the way that I am within my legal of course rights as a veterinary technician in California. Um, so there's definitely things that I can do to respond to an emergency. Um, but generally, I'm calling a vet on the phone and either having them say, "Okay, give them you know this, 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 this. I'm on my way," or "I'm on my way." You know, continue giving them supportive care in the awesome. meantime, depending. So veterinarians in California and in most places, most states, but it does vary a little bit. Um, but the veterinarians are prescribing, diagnosing, and doing surgery. And then everything else is pretty much stuff that I can do. So, okay. um, you know, I can induce an anesthesia, I can, um, which means putting them under the anesthesia. And uh, I can take x-rays, I can do blood draws, you know, I can give medications and all that stuff as long as it's something that's prescribed to the animal. Right. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So um, do they have to be in person or does telemed work nowadays for animals like it does for humans? Yeah. Telemed is definitely something that, that works out in our favor. Nice. Okay, yeah. cool. So you can call and say, you know, the platelets are this and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, and he's eating this and they'll say, oh, okay, cool. They needed 20 milligrams or milliliters of... Mm -hmm. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yes, yes. With a vet. <laughs> this is how much I know. And yep. you can be like, cool, thank you. Boom. Done. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, it's the kind of relationship that we have is that, you know, I've I've definitely earned their trust. And that was something that I did have to earn. Um, they had to know that they could just tell me over the phone, hey, give them, you know, two tabs of Clavamox twice a day for a couple of weeks, and I can I can make that happen. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, so tell me about the first time after you started here that, mm. like, something happened. Oh. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I am the vet tech at a zoo. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We had a couple of things. I don't remember some of the, the very first things, but we had some minor things that I was like, uh. And so I would have to call the vets a lot and be like, I don't know. what, what Like, what's the history on this animal? You know, like, have you seen it? And all this stuff, but um, we had a, a scarlet macaw at the time, and all of a sudden she seemed paralyzed, like from the kind of, if she was a person or another animal, like the waist down. Okay. Yeah. So her wings were still functional, but her legs did not seem functional. And so at that moment, I was like, this is it. This is my specialty. Because <laughs> I was like, that's what I did in wildlife is like these these weird, like, really acute or, you know, emergent cases that it's like, you have no idea what happened, but this is what I can do. And I can, you know, I can assist feed and I can do all these medications and I can, you know, handle her and make sure that she's clean and we're weighing her every day and all this stuff. And I was like, that's my specialty. And I was like, here, this is it. This is me. And so it, was, it felt like that was my time to shine. And that was my, my moment to say, like, this is, this is what I can do. Like, this is kind of why you hired me is because this is my specialty right here. Um, I also specialize in, in raising um, 
baby animals. Okay. So I did a lot of that in wildlife. Nice. I, I was actually the wood rat and deer mouse foster person. <laughs> so, um, you know, staying up overnight and or waking up every few hours and feeding and that kind of stuff. So um, we haven't, luckily, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had to really hand rear anybody here. But that's certainly in my wheelhouse and something that I prepare for every time we're expecting a baby here at the zoo. Very cool. So what happened with, with the Scarlet? Uh, unfortunately, not a great outcome. Okay. Yeah, that so, happens sometimes. Exactly. I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about it. I'm <laughs> yeah, curious, you know? for sure. Yeah, so we did a temp treatment. Um, we took her to a specialty place. Um, eventually, she was just not improving and started declining. And so we did make that tough choice to euthanize her. And uh, whenever an animal passes away here, whether that's naturally or from euthanasia, we do a necropsy, mm-hmm. so an animal autopsy, and learn, try to learn from that. Because especially for her case, we really didn't have a, a solid di- diagnosis for what was going on with her. Um, but she was definitely getting all these supportive medications, antifungals, antibiotics, just in case she had an infection, that kind of thing. So we... Uh, x-rayed her after she had passed away and saw that there was some abnormal changes in her spine. So we were actually able to take that part of her spine and send it to a pathologist. And they diagnosed a fungal infection in her spine, which is highly unusual. So usually when birds are getting fungal infections, it's affecting their respiratory system. (laughs) They're breathing in (laughs) something and it's affecting their lungs and their air sacs and things like that. So we still don't know why. And unfortunately, that's the case with some of our animals is they pass away and we, we don't always get the answers that we want. So uh, that's, that's tough to not have a final, this is what happened. But uh, we do know that that's, that's what happened to her is a fungal infection. And unfortunately, it was probably going to be really, really tough to, to treat. So at the time, you know, we, we made the right choice at the right time. Great. That's and that's I I love that story for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. One of which is that your story of when you were like, I'm here, this mm-hmm. is my moment, didn't have a, a happy outcome. Mm-hmm. But you were still able to know that that was your moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful mm-hmm. because I think that would, you know, that shows that shows something that we talk about on here a lot and that I, I kind of want to discuss further with you is like we are very pro euthanasia mm-hmm. on this podcast, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, I wish there was the ability to do that as a human too. <laughs> I, I've watched people suffer and die, and I think that's torturous. You know, for I sure. really do, and I won't mm-hmm. ask for your opinion on that. I'm Thank simply you. stating mine. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. But um, you know, I think euthanasia is one of the things that I love. Mm-hmm. about Zeus, which is such a weird sentence when you it is, think yes. about it, you know? <laughs> but um, tell me your thoughts on euthanasia, when, uh, obviously only when necessary, when of it's course. the best thing for of the course, animal. I mean, yes. duh, but yes. you want to say it anyway. Right. Um, but I'd love to know your thoughts on that. And do you ever feel like good or at peace after you've done that and know that you're ending suffering? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, with wildlife, it can be very sad, um, very similar to to what people think of as shelter medicine. It's a very high euthanasia rate. So it was something that I personally, I have euthanized hundreds of animals, unfortunately. I was working at a very large wildlife center for a very long time, or not a very long time, pretty long time in, in the wildlife world. But it was always, for me, that's the last treatment that I can give that patient is to end their suffering or 
make sure that they have a good death, which is what euthanasia means, uh, means a good death. And so that's my gift and my final treatment for that patient. So absolutely, there, there are times when afterwards, it, it feels good to know that, that I was able to do that for them. But it's always tough. It doesn't matter whether it was an animal at the zoo or a wild animal that just walked in the door um, at a wildlife center. It's tough either way. And um, which is why it's very tough to be in wildlife and tough to be in shelter medicine right. is because of that. Because um, even if it's not an animal that you've known for long, I mean, some of those animals I knew for all of, you know, two minutes because they came in with such horrendous trauma that we were like, no, this isn't something that we're going to put this animal through. Um, but it, it's, it's a really good feeling to know that, that that's, that's what you were able to do. And, um, but it's sad either way. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and you know, compassion fatigue is a, is a big thing in, in the zoo field. Um, so how do you, how do you process these things? What do you do to take care of your mental health as you're Mm -hmm. doing this so that you can then take care of the animals? Yeah, I'm a huge, um, proponent of, uh, taking care of yourself. Uh, compassion fatigue and burnout are a huge problem, not just in the veterinary field, but in the zoo field in general. And so it's always um, good to talk to a counselor, um, you know, have, having somebody outside your family and outside of your coworkers to talk to can be really, really helpful in processing all of that. Um, I, I experienced compassion fatigue and burnout um, pretty badly, honestly, before I got this job. And so I know what that feels like. And, and it's, a, it's a horrible feeling um, to know that you're going through that because you can be very self-aware of I'm, this is happening to me and not being able to do a lot about it. But for me personally, I leave work at work. Um, I've, I've really drawn hard boundaries and they're very respectful of that at Happy Hollow. I'm not getting calls at all hours of the day or on my weekends. I do get some, you know, hey, just need a, a quick answer type things. Or, sure, of course. Or, yeah. you know, this is happening. We're having an emergency and absolutely I'm coming in and, and helping. Right. But for the most part, my weekends are quiet and, you know, I have my own animals at home to take care of. <laughs> so um, hanging out with them, of course, is, is always wonderful. But, yeah, it's, it's a really important thing to me to take care of myself um, in all aspects, uh, not just mentally, but physically, you know, financially, emotionally, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very important in the, to have a long career here in the zoo field. Cool. Well, thank you very much for going so deep on that. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, now to lighten the mood a little yeah. bit. So you were telling me that your husband has a bad sense of smell. Do you think that contributes <laughs> to the healthiness of your relationship at home? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Coming home uh, many days smelling like skunk or making the car smell like skunk um, and having him be like, eh, that's fine. <laughs> has been extremely helpful. Um, he's been very supportive. So I, I find myself then... Uh, he, I'm just so fortunate to have somebody who's so supportive and understanding of like, I come home and, you know, I smell like uh, sheep, which I don't mind, but I am very self-conscious about like sheep have a smell and so, and goats have a smell. 
And that might not be somebody's jam. So, <laughs> um, you know, coming home and just being like, oh, I'm sorry, I smell bad. And just like, oh. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you're mentioning sheep, you're mentioning goats, you're yes. mentioning all kinds of cool animals. So let's talk a little bit about the animals that are here. Yes. Um, and like I said, we're talking sheep, we're talking goats. So let's mm-hmm. let's stick with something like a barnyard good animal. So, of course, tell me about your red pandas. Oh, yeah. Because they're the most important. Of course. <laughs> I know they're not actually barnyard animals. No, no, no. <laughs> but I had to do a hard pivot. Yes. Yeah, so our red pandas, um, we have Will Smith and Xena. Okay, now you need to pause there for a second. Yes. <laughs> because you said Will Smith. Yes. And I know that name. Well, actually, I know that name as a panda mm-hmm. too. But mm-hmm. the average listener knows that name, but not as a red panda. Yes. So tell me, tell me how that happened. So this was actually, I, I will not, we will not take credit for this one for a Happy <laughs> Hollow. Um, he was born in a, another zoo and named it another zoo. And um, just as a side note, when animals come to us and they already have a name, we tend to stick with that name unless we really feel like we need to change it for some reason. But that has rarely happened. So for Will Smith, he was um, maybe about two years old when he came here. And he was born on Independence Day. So they named him Will Smith. Nice. Yes. Very good. Very good. <laughs> he also came in a small suit. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Yeah, right? Yes. So, and then you have Xena, right? And Xena, yes. The warrior princess panda. Yes. And so we actually have another Xena here at the zoo. Oh, okay. So uh, Xena anteater, giant anteater. And so oftentimes we refer to Xena, the red panda, as just Xena panda. So we have Xena panda and Xena anteater. Um, and so that's how uh, a lot of times my notes are Xena panda, just to make sure that we're talking about the correct Xena here. <laughs> um, so we don't get it mixed up, but uh, it works out just fine, uh, making sure that Nobody mixes up their medical records and stuff like that. So. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, can you tell me anything about the pandas? Oh, what can I tell you about the pandas? So well, besides... What their blood type is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> tell you about their last exam, no. <laughs> uh, they're, they're both wonderful to work with. Um, uh, in, in many ways, I, I almost said, unfortunately, um, I don't interact with them too much, which is probably a good thing right, because the right. animals that I do interact with a lot tend to have health problems. So um, I get to go down there and um, feed them feed them treats every once in a while just to make friends or to um, just check on them. If somebody's reported an issue, then I'll, I'll bring some treats with me to be able to look at them. So they're great to work with, though. I did get to take care of Xena while she uh, was in quarantine. So okay. when, a, when an animal is first coming in, we quarantine them for some period of time, a short period of time generally, like a month or so, and just to make sure that they're healthy before we introduce them into our main animal collection. So I got to be Xena's keeper for about a month nice. and um, had a great time with her. Uh, she was so personable. And the way that red pandas eat bamboo leaves is just the best. Yes. It, it, it made my day every day. Yes. Yeah, I can vouch for that. Yeah, yes. it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. Yes. Very cool. Um, and, you know, that actually brings up an interesting point. We'll come back to animals. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you're, you're not a big scary person to me. <laughs> sure. However, I would imagine that if you're only showing up to take care of scary you know, things that can seem scary to animals, mm-hmm. even though you're helping them out, uh, sure. blood draws and, and stuff like that, um, that they could grow to be afraid of you. Mm-hmm. And so do you do anything? I know you mentioned just going down and taking treats. How do you work on your relationships? And in general, I know every animal is different, but what's your relationship like with the animals at the zoo? 
Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really liked coming into this is that I get to work with the same animals every day. So unlike a dog and cat clinic or a wildlife um, rehab place, they're only seeing patients every once in a while or, you know, for a certain amount of time and then they're released and hopefully never seen or heard from again. But with this, I get to know these animals. I get to know their personalities. I can go say hi to them every single day if I want to. I don't always have that time to go say hi to every single animal every single day. Um, but whenever I stop by to check on somebody else in the area, I tend to check on or just stop by and say hi to any other animals in the area. So um, you got to see our red panda area. It's connected to our capybara area. So if I'm visiting the capybara, I might stop by and say hi to the pandas or vice versa. And that way I can establish a little bit of a relationship with them. So when I am doing something that's not so pleasant for them, they trust me a lot more and right. they recover from that a lot better because the next day I can go down and say, oh, here's a grape. I'm so sorry about what happened yesterday. <laughs> and they say, oh, that's fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or I imagine them saying that. They don't. But, no, that makes sense, though. I, but I it's think, very nice to I, have yeah, that. No, I've definitely, I've heard it described by other, you know, people in training as a trust mm -hmm. bank. It is. And, and so filling up that trust bank, even yes. if you have to take a big withdrawal, and you're exactly. only taking it to save their lives or help them in some way, but they don't know that. Correct, yes. But, so you, you do, like, part of your job is trust yes. banking. Yes, That's yeah. Good. It's basically that kind of 100 to 1. You know, if I do 100 good things, um, the one bad thing that I'm doing, um, hopefully I've built up enough in my trust, trust bank to be able to withstand that. Right. And most of the animals, I'd say, like 90% of the animals here, I, I work with very well. Um, and they don't like run away from me or anything like that. Uh, I, I really like that about working at a smaller zoo in a smaller collection is that I'm the only vet tech here and I can visit all of the animals, um, at, you know, whenever they're having an issue or not having an issue and that's, it's all me. So it's, it's really nice in that way, but, um, yeah, it, it, it works out. The only animals that I would say really are very nervous about me and don't particularly like when I'm around or the macaws. It's true. I can vouch. <laughs> I was there and they were like coming over to say hi. And then they saw Rachel and they were like, no. <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. Yes. So <laughs> they're pretty much the only ones. Because um, the other animals, if they're skittish around me, then they're probably um, pretty skittish around the keepers as well. Right. Um, like our aviary birds and things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very cool. And you actually have a very special relationship with a, a different bird here. Yes. So tell me about Ulysses and, and how that relationship came to be. Yeah. My husband actually calls him my work boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so Ulysses is a, he's about 43 years old. Um, he's a sulfur crested cockatoo. So he has retired from our zoo collection. He has arthritis and cataracts and um, it was just making it very hard for him to be on exhibit. So he's retired to our back area and is absolutely lovingly taken care of by our keepers back there. He is so happy. He's so happy. Um, but we had, unfortunately, we had a flood here at Happy Hollow in 2017, uh, right around Valentine's Day. Ah, so romantic. we're coming up, <laughs> yes, coming up on the anniversary here. Um, it's very traumatic for all of us that were involved. But we moved all of the animals from our lower zoo area that was up against the creek that was flooding, uh, moved them up as we saw that the creek waters were rising, um, got everybody safely out. Nobody was um, in danger at the time, but Ulysses had to live in the main treatment area in his cage. And so he stayed up here for a 
a good two or three months before we got everything cleaned up and uh, made sure that we had electricity and things like that running back to the lower zoo. Um, Because in February, it's still pretty chilly overnight in California. Um, I won't call it cold (laughs) because I know I understand it is not cold compared to other places, but it's chilly, especially for our tropical animals. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had to make sure that we still had electricity and things running to the lower zoo. But Ulysses stayed up here and uh, kept me company while I was working. So we formed a very special relationship. And uh, when the keepers, when he's not working for the keepers, because uh, he has a, a few keepers that he's not particularly fond of, um, they'll call me down sometimes so that <laughs> I, I can get him out or um, medicate him and things like that. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ulysses is really special. He's so sweet. Such a good boy. Yes. Um, such a gentle voice some, sometimes. Sometimes. And then other times not. Much but I like was, a pterodactyl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have, I have met cockatoos before, and I have never heard that, like, gentle, friendly, sweet voice before. It was so mm-hmm. touching. Yes. Such a good boy. Yes. He used to just, he used to do the really low whistling a lot of times, um, just while I was working, you know, he, he's an older guy. He takes a lot of naps during the day, but, um, when he would wake up and I would talk to him and, um, just the, the low sweet whistles. And so I really tried to encourage that, um, so that, you know, we, I wasn't having to work with like earplugs or something (laughs) like that. Headphones. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Hey friends, so not the happiest interrupting John, but I wanted to duck in here to let you know that uh, in the time between recording this episode and releasing it, Ulysses has passed away uh, of a heart condition. Now, Ulysses was 43 years old, which is longer than the life expectancy of uh, sulfur-crested cockatoos in captivity by a couple of years. And, um, you know, it's it's just a great example of how zoos manage to take such good care of animals that even when they have some conditions and stuff, they still manage to live well past their uh, life expectancy. It's, It's very cool. And I'm I'm sad that Ulysses is gone. I have very fond memories of that bird, but um, you know that's that's part of this, and and we we have to talk about it on the podcast. Um, and just while I'm in here, you're going to hear about a fusa later on named Roni, and Roni has also since passed away, also passed the life expectancy of fusas, and um, yeah, I just you know I I I don't always put this kind of thing in there because you know this this happens, but Caitlin actually sent me an email letting me know um just in case anybody goes to Happy Hollow looking to to see these animals that they hear about on the podcast um you know they're not there anymore but they they live on in the memories of of their keepers and vet techs and and people like me who got to have cool experiences with them and meet them and and they get to keep being ambassadors for their species as well as for the awesomeness of good zoos by having their stories shared uh you know person to person or on a nifty little podcast such as Rasafari. So uh, I just, I love that so much. It makes me happy even in the sadness. All right, back to the interview. So let's talk about uh, the uh, Parma wallabies a mm-hmm. little bit, because I think everybody has a kind of an idea of what a wallaby is, mm-hmm. and it's just like a slightly tinier kangaroo. <laughs> but the Parmas are something different. 
Yeah, they're much smaller. They're the smallest wallaby species. Uh, and they, I think so. And they um, used to have an SSP uh, with, the, with, a, with an AZA. Um, they don't anymore, but they're still kind of uh, managed like an SSP. And so these guys are much shyer than probably the wallabies that most people have interacted with at zoos. Most other zoos are keeping things like Bennett's wallabies um, or other species that tend to do a little bit better in those situations, especially in close contact with people. So if they're having like a, a walkthrough area, um, those are typically different species than parmas. Um, at the time, the last that I saw, there was only about 13 parmas still managed by that um, SSP, in quotes. And we hold seven of them. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so um, we've been very successful with our parma wallabies. They're one of our kind of flagship breeding species. Um, we do breed them on recommendations from the SSP, of course. But um, things, things got very prolific for a little while <laughs> and not a lot of places are holding parmas anymore. Um, partly because I think they're, they're a little more skittish and shy and a lot harder to like do training with and things right. like that. So we love them. We really do. Um, but they grow so fast too. So you have little, little joeys in the pouch. And then after like one month of sticking out, then all of a sudden they're just out, out. <laughs> <laughs> and so you don't get that really long time of like, Oh, he's sticking his head out, and like, and it's so cute right, when they do. Right. But it goes so fast; they grow up really, really, really quickly. Well, they're not growing that. I mean, size wise, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're what, like a foot tall, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe they're they're like eighteen, that, eighteen okay. inches. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, mm -hmm. that was that was something else to see. Yeah, I think they have yeah. some at the LA Zoo as well. Um, um, they have some at San Diego. Is it San Diego? Mm -hmm. I knew it was somewhere that I've been recently. Mm -hmm. um, and like, yeah, that's got to be about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's a couple of other zoos and. Or maybe one other zoo, and that's about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very, very cool. Yeah, they're cool. Um, now, going back to the barnyard for a second, mm -hmm. there's a cow. <laughs> tell, tell me. Tell me things. Oh, Chloe? Yeah. She's our zebu. Yes. She's going on like 20 now, so she's she's awesome. She's really, really sweet. Uh, she loves the kids. Um, she loves getting scratched by the kids. <laughs> so, and it's awesome because she's definitely loves to lick her nose a lot and things like that. Stick her tongue in her nostril, <laughs> which the kids love. And her tongue is very, very long. And so sometimes she'll lick the kids and, uh, with her big slimy tongue. Nice. So nice. That's a lot of fun to watch the kids just like, ah, um, so for, for listeners, you can see out the window to the barn area. Uh, I have the best view in the zoo from my desk. And so I get to enjoy all of the, the ranch animals. And uh, so it's really fun to watch the kids interact and then get grossed out by the cow, for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really <laughs> cool. Zebu are awesome. They are. All right. So um, while we're in the barnyard, um, you you have an animal that I've never seen at a zoo before, and and I'm I'm confused about the story. Tell me about the unicorn that you have here. So she's a very tiny unicorn. Very tiny. <laughs> so it's one of our goats, Pixie. Um, she only has one horn, and uh, I I wish you could have known her when she had two horns <laughs> because they crossed in the back, and it was. It was beautiful. Oh, so Pixie's I, just always been a weirdo. I like this. She's been a weirdo from day one. Um, she's one of my favorite goats, but she's 
she's another one of the animals that is just not not too cool with me. Um, she actually doesn't really like the keepers either, but she <laughs> loves kids. She's a great animal um, for the kids, but does not trust any of us. And for good reason. So one day we came in and she had broken her horn. And it was broken a few inches above where it connects to her skull. And so unfortunately we couldn't salvage that. So um, we did surgery under anesthesia and removed that horn. So now she's our beautiful unicorn. And she is by far one of the fluffiest and softest goats in the winter. Just have to put that out there. (laughs) Well, of course, those magical properties really yes. help out. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that must have been something special to do. So, like, okay, I know that the vet that's come here or that is coming here and that mm-hmm. is working with Fostock has been doing so for like thirty million years. I get it. <laughs> yes, and you've got a lot of experience. I totally get it. But even so, like, how do you know what to do to remove a horn? Um, luckily, that's something that the vet knows, um, okay. and. It's actually not our first unicorn. <laughs> um, actually, our other one, he was the unicorn first, and then he broke that one, and so then he had no horns oh, no. after a little while. Um, but uh, So I had experience the, for the first one to know exactly what that surgery was going to look like. And it's, it's not a pleasant surgery um, having to cut off an adult uh, goat's horn. But they're under anesthesia, so they're not feeling anything, and they get plenty of pain meds and everything afterwards. But there's a big artery going to that horn. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's one that it's like, okay, as soon as they get it, you better get something on top of that or else you have a little geyser. Right, right. Yeah. Wow, interesting. And then um, speaking of, like, cool and and funky surgeries, Mm -hmm. uh, y'all have a a FUSA here that – is not a unicorn, but is a cyclops. Yes. So um, I'm, I'm liking the mythical theme here. Yes. But um, yeah, so tell me about your Fusa and, and that story. Yeah, Roni is about to be 20 years old, uh, which is very old for a Fusa. Now I'm noticing the name Roni. Roni. W- was there a Mac or Macca or something? There was. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, her of brother. Course there was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, y'all. Yes. Come on. I know. That's what we have to do in the zoo world. Again, we won't take credit for that one, Fair. but uh, but yeah, she did have a brother named Mac. Very cool. But yeah, and so tell me about Roni's uh, yeah. eye. So she has um, high blood pressure, which can lead to glaucoma. And unfortunately, we didn't know that she had high blood pressure at the time, but we did see evidence of glaucoma. And we tried different interventions that were not surgery before, trying to treat it with medication and um, an injection actually into the eye under anesthesia, of course, um, by an ophthalmologist that helps with that. But unfortunately, those treatments just didn't relieve the pressure from the glaucoma in the eye. And glaucoma, for anybody that's had it or knows somebody that's had it, can be very, very painful. So, of course, we were treating that. But over time, it it gets kind of out of control. So the only option was to go ahead and remove that eye since we couldn't salvage it. So we worked with some animal ophthalmologists in the area that did the surgery with us. So they actually did the surgery while um, I monitored and our veterinarian helped uh, with that surgery. So it was very, very cool. Uh, They came here and um, did it in our surgery suite here in Doc's Critter Care. We had the window open for people to to view (laughs) and... Uh, we had one of our educators outside so that if people had questions, they were more than welcome to ask or just have an explanation of like, here's what we're doing so that you don't just see 
kind of random surgery happening and you just don't know what it's for or why. So uh, it was a really, really cool experience for both the veterinary team and our guests to be able to see that. And she recovered beautifully and she's running around. Uh, She does not believe that she's 20. (laughs) She runs around and plays and um, has a great time with her enrichment every day. So it's great to see her uh, healthy again. That's awesome. And Mm -hmm. then um, how much did y'all make in auctioning off that eye? No, I can't. (laughs) But that actually does make me wonder, um, what do you do? And not just y'all, but in general, like what does the zoo community do with like medical waste and stuff? How is all of that handled? Well, for um, Roni in particular, we actually sent that out to a lab that uh, does comparative ophthalmology. So they actually look at healthy and unhealthy eyes of different animals. And when we reached out to them through the uh, local ophthalmologist, we, um, they said, hey, we have this FUSA eye, you know, it had glaucoma and we tried these treatments. And they said, oh my gosh, we don't have a FUSA eye, please send it to us. <laughs> And the email that I got after I sent it in was, we got the I, exclamation point. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, so they were very excited. And um, they did the pathology on it to let us know, like, what was actually going on in the eye. So we do send a lot of samples out that way, of course. And then um, for the rest, like, for the animals that have passed away, uh, we actually have them cremated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Good to know. Yes. Cool. Uh, so what's, what's your favorite animal in the zoo? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask that question. I, I am. And don't yeah. worry. Animals probably won't listen to the podcast. <laughs> probably. I can't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The, the keepers like to, to play podcasts <laughs> and radio and stuff like that for them. Um, uh, well, besides Ulysses, because I think that's a, a well, little bit course. of a cop out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that one's a given. Yes. Um, gosh, there's so many, um, I get this question a lot from camp kids. Uh, we have a veterinary camp, which is awesome. Wow. Um, that is really cool. Yeah. So wow. it's for kids that are interested in that kind of stuff. And they come to her and they uh, ask me questions and things like that. And they always ask either, what's my favorite animal? And I always give the same, like, oh, I don't know. And then I had some kid ask, what's your least favorite animal here? <laughs> <laughs> so my answer for that, at least, was none of them are my least favorite <laughs> There's, there is a wonderful quality about every single animal here. There's something that I love with every single animal. So um, for just in general, for working with animals, I really love working with waterfowl. So mm. I love working with geese and ducks. Um, we do have a few ducks here, which is awesome. But uh, one of my favorites working with wildlife was to work with Canada geese. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I was going to say, I know what you lit up the most around today, <laughs> but that doesn't always mean it's your favorite. Right. But you got like real excited when we went into that aviary. Yes. And, and we're looking at, at a my whistling duck. Yes. And at the, yeah. There, there were a couple of the pheasants as well, I think. Yes. We have just... crested wood partridges. Yeah. They're so handsome. Yeah. 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 You, 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 you were at a whole other level. Yes. I was not a bird person before working with wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, I never considered, you know, having a bird or anything like that. And I still don't. I, I don't really see them as good pet material, at least for my lifestyle. But working with them, I turned into a bird person. 
I think it's impossible not to. Yes. Because I was the same way before mm-hmm. this podcast. I would skip aviaries unless they mm-hmm. had turtles in them. Exactly. Uh, and then I'd be the guy looking down at the, the whole time. Birds right. flying overhead. And I'm like, where'd the turtle at? Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started meeting birds on this podcast, I have fallen in love. And that was only reinforced today with uh, yes. some time with Ulysses and stuff. Excellent. It's just, it's yes. just very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one more species that I, I was hoping to ask about, sure. and then, then we'll move on to a couple other things quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me about your fennec foxes. Oh, our fennec foxes. Um, so what we have right now is a mom and two of her daughters and the, and I wouldn't say like kids because the daughters are now about six years old. Um, okay. yeah. yeah, I was going to say same size, but yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mom's going on about nine or ten years old now, and the the girls were born here. And um, unfortunately, Safar didn't prove to be, Safar's the mom, she didn't prove to be a, a great mom um, for a previous litter. And so the zoo did hand rear the, the kits that she had with that, that litter. Um, we had two boys and two girls. Uh, the two boys have unfortunately passed away, and so we have the two girls, and we're uh, still part of the SSP. So we're hoping to uh, still get breeding recommendations and things like that for the two girls. Uh, Safar is getting old enough that she's not really of reproductive age anymore, but if we do end up doing something with the girls, then we'll um, bring in a buddy for her. Right. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So... You have a thing here, <laughs> and it's um, well, it's a tube <laughs> with a little spoon in it. It looks like something you would use to sample froyo, <laughs> um, and each one has a different animal's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what what are those? Well, I uh, I did see you eyeing those, and I was wondering if you were going to ask. And I was like, oh, I left those on the counter. Not a big deal, but um, you talked about poop. Uh, on your podcast so those those are poop containers so a lot of my job is um is looking at poop (laughs) it's a really good way to tell how an animal's doing so um it's a a really passive way to check their health so it's great uh so the keepers will collect the poop and bring it back to me and then i look at it under the microscope and uh, look for parasites or any kind of abnormalities. And sometimes I'll send it out to the lab in case I, if I don't have time that day to uh, run it myself. But that's what my little microscope is here for, oh, nice. is to look at poop mostly. Nice. So Those are the fanciest yeah. poop containers I have ever seen. Yeah, they yeah. come from the lab, so I won't take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're so cool. They're these clear little tubes and mm-hmm. the the top has a spoon on it mm-hmm. and... I, I legit, like, if I hadn't seen animal names, would have been like, yeah, like, this is something for sampling, something it to eat. It does look like that, yeah. Sometimes uh, there's different uh, designs. Sometimes they come with a spork instead no, of a spoon. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I would be so excited right yep. now if there was a spork. I know. Yeah. yeah, I don't have any spork containers Have you right ever now. thought of taking some and just making mini parfaits for a party sometime? Like, clean ones, obviously, right. not used ones. Um, not with those. <laughs> I have thought about taking um, the clear pipettes that I have in my laboratory supplies um, or not taking them, not taking them for work. <laughs> I've thought about getting some myself um, because they're great little, like, containers to put sauces or soy sauce or something nice. like that in for like appetizers. So putting balsamic vinegar and then uh, making kind of a caprese, you know, mozzarella and tomatoes and kind of skewering that on there. Oh, it's a heck great, yeah. I'd, yeah. Be, 
I'm just looking around now. So now I'm re-looking at everything in here <laughs> with a culinary approach. Uh -huh. And like, yeah, like you literally have a thing that is a ketchup bottle over there and a I soy do. sauce bottle. And yes. I, you could actually make a really cool like uh, vet tech themed party. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I tell people to grab the hydrogen peroxide, that's what's in the ketchup bottle. Then I'm like, <laughs> we'll grab that. It's in the ketchup bottle. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's literally a ketchup bottle. <laughs> like yeah. it's like the diner ketchup bottle. It is. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, very cool. Was there anything else that you wanted to share about Happy Hollow, your job, or anything like that? Oh, there's so much. I could go on and on, honestly. Um, this is really a fantastic place for families to visit, and it's a fantastic place to work, and I love it. Um, and I'm very excited. Um, we're expanding the zoo all the time, um, redoing exhibits and things like that. Right now, we're redoing our Chacoan Peccary. Or actually, it used to be Collard Peccaries. We still have a Collard Peccary um, she's off exhibit right now while we're working on that exhibit. But, um, once we have the space, then we can bring in Chacoan peccaries, which, which we're so exciting. very excited about. Yes. That's so yes. Cool. So it'll be a new species for happy hollow. Nice. Um, we've worked with the collards for, um, several years now, but do collards look similar yeah. to Chacoan? Or? They do. The Chacoans are okay. bigger. Um, okay. the, the collards are smaller. So when people think of, um, javelinas or collard or peccaries, um, they're probably thinking about the collards. Uh, they're kind of in southwest U.S. and into uh, Mexico and Central America. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain to me how Chicoan peccaries are able to have such tiny legs, such big heads, but still walk? Because I'm not convinced that this should be happening. <laughs> I'm assuming a lot of it's floof, you know? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that You heard That's, it here first. Yes. The medical opinion is yes. it is the floof. Floof. I like yes. it. Yes. Very cool. Um, and then how about, uh, want to give any shout outs to conservation organizations? Absolutely. So um, we support a lot of conservation through Happy Hollow. So I would encourage people to definitely check those out. But something that's kind of um, a little nearer and dearer to my heart personally is Mar Alliance. And so they're an organization that supports uh, marine animals and spe more specifically stingrays and sharks okay um, they need a lot of help too uh, i think they don't always get the publicity that some of our uh, land animals get um but uh, the health of our ocean is very important too so i i strongly believe in their organization okay very yeah. cool and then it is time it's time now don't you know we've come to the end of the show but there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. Okay, so I had a hard time thinking of a poop story. Poop story. And I think it's because I deal with so much poop. <laughs> so I came up with a, at least a gross one for okay, you. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> so we had a sheep that had um, just some smelly wool on his face. And so the, the vet kind of came in and checking it out and we shaved the wool and found that he had this abscess kind of nasty looking abscess on his face and it was pretty deep and so we needed to flush it out so we got a syringe down in there had some uh stuff to clean it out with and so when you're flushing an abscess you have to have pretty high pressure uh to get all that gunk out and so of course whenever you're flushing an abscess you always turn your head away so that you don't get stuff in your mouth or your nose or your eyes or in your face in general. Fair, fair. But uh, unfortunately in this one, it did get just all over my clothes. <laughs> um, and I stink like this abscess 
all day for the rest of the day. And this was one of those times where I came home and I was just like, I don't care if you can't smell it. I can smell it. And like, I am going right in the shower. So, uh, and it, it actually like stank up my jacket for a while. So I had to wash my jacket multiple times. So it was pretty gross. Um, it healed beautifully after we got it all cleaned up. So that one has a good, good ending. Um, but yeah, flushing abscesses is always partly satisfying, but also pretty gross. (laughs) Fair. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Rachel is awesome. And I'll tell you what, I could do an entire podcast with vet techs, if only, you know, they ever had the time to do it, uh, or like I have the time to do another podcast, but they all have such amazing stories and such a great heart. And it's really cool to see just how much of the work they're doing and, and how involved in the, the daily care of these animals they are. I just, I think that's so cool. Uh, so grateful for all the vet techs out there. And as a, a bit of a, um, hint from me to you. If you are interested in working with animals right now and don't really know what course you want to take, or um, if you've maybe thought of becoming a vet, but the idea of vet school is a little scary, or the price of vet school is a lot scary or something like that, we need vet techs right now, y'all. We need them in private practice. We need them with dogs and cats. We need them with exotics. We need them in zoos. There is a serious shortage of vet techs right now. That is a great place if you want to go and start a career with animals. I highly recommend it. I also recommend visiting happyhollow.org or going on social media to Zoo to see what's going on at Happy Hollow. You can see cool pictures and stuff. And they're one of these uh, zoos that I love. And, you know, again, I have to give um, give some props to our good friend, Caitlin O'Hara, who is the conservation and communications manager, because the zoo not only has really good stuff going on on their social media, but are also wildly transparent. The uh, the animals that I mentioned that passed away and, and some other things that have happened at the zoo that are, you know, perfectly normal, things that happen that are maybe a little sad, when, when you're involved with animals, they're all shared on there and they're all very open and transparent um, stories on those pages. And that just makes me really happy. If you listen, you know I push for that all the time. So I am so happy to see places like Happy Hollow Park and Zoo do that. It's, it's really cool. Um, one final little story that I need to share with you about an animal at the zoo. Um. And this one's hard for me to share because it's it's about a red panda. But um, I've been reading a lot of articles recently that uh, that Will Smith uh, punched a comedian named Chris Rock and is no longer. A, oh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh, this whole time I thought it was the panda. And I just I it's it's the actor. OK, yeah. All right. Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.